Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon spoke to Tottenham Hotspur head coach Ange Postacoglu. What is success for Spurs this season? We also take a look at the Scotland versus England rivalry. Is it one the fans still care about? And Paul Pogba has been provisionally suspended after testing positive for testosterone. What would a long-term ban mean for his career? This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm delighted to say, Simon, we are joined by the recently appointed Tottenham manager, Ange Postecoglou. Ange, good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Great to see you. Morning, Ange. Morning. Great to see you. First off, thank you so much uh, for giving us this time this morning, Ange. So let's get to it. I mean, less than three months into the role, has Premier League football been everything you ever envisaged? Uh, look, I, I guess so. I mean, I, my expectations going into it are pretty much the same as every other role I've got into. You kind of understand there's a challenge before you. And, uh, you know, whilst people, um, you know, I guess particularly over this side of the border are, are fairly infatuated with the Premier League, it's still a football club I need to take over and do, you know, the things I've always done, um, you know, what I did at Celtic or in Japan or in Australia. Um, but it's been great uh, in terms of me just being able to sort of, get my feet under the desk and start working in the way I want to and, and sort of getting people to buy in. So it's uh, been enjoyable so far. Good to hear. I mean, have you had any big surprises so far in the job? Anything taking you by surprise? What's been the biggest challenge, would you say? No real surprises. As I said, it's still it's still football. I think if you, if you can sort of um, take away all the... The, the general sort of um, scrutiny that's around, uh, particularly around the Premier League, but in every role you have, um, nothing really surprising. Um, the challenges are, as I said, as expected, every time I walk into a role, you, you, there's a reason I'm here, you know. If, if things were going well, I wouldn't be here. Uh, you know, that's most managers will tell you that's the reason you come in. And with that, you're going with your eyes wide open, expect it to be tough, um, and, and it will be. You know, we're just very much at the beginnings. We've had a encouraging start, but uh, still plenty to do. And when you looked at the opportunity of Tottenham, what was it, I mean, I'm not just, obviously, because they asked, right? But what was it about Tottenham that made you want to join them? A lot of people have this perspective of Daniel Levy, of the challenges that Tottenham Hotspur have had, the fact that they haven't won any trophies. You've come in from 
from the background with a lot of noise about what you've achieved at Celtic and justifiably so because I think you did a brilliant job. Um, but Tottenham as a challenge, what was it that drew you to them? Exactly that, Simon. Um, I love a challenge. You know, I've done that through my whole career. That um, the, the the I guess every step along the way, wherever I've sort of decided about when to move, and I've usually moved on the back of success wherever I've been, is because there's a challenge out there that really stirs me. As you said, first you've got to get asked, so it's it's that's the first thing, and, and I was asked. Um, secondly, is you look at what you're going into, and, and I think the fact that it is for all intents and purposes, one of the biggest clubs in the world, but it hasn't had success for a, for a very long time, was probably the key driver for me. Because I think when you go into a challenge like that, you know that should you be able to, you know, implement the things you want to and, you know, um, all things being able, it goes well, you you can make an impact and, and leave a mark um, on, on the club you've worked for. And that's what I've tried to do with all my clubs. So... That's that was the biggest attraction for me. The, the the fact that the club hasn't had a lot of success. It it kind of is coming off a, a particularly you know, poor season, even by its own standards, and um, the opportunity there to create something. What's the challenge, mate? I mean, when you you you, you conceptualise a challenge in people's minds, some people would say it's to win something for Spurs. Others might say to get Daniel's objective of getting inside the top four. What is the challenge? The challenge is, for me, the same everywhere. To get the team to play a certain kind of football that gives its own fans and punters something to get excited about on a weekly basis and bring success to the club. There's no other reason I do what I do. Uh, it doesn't matter where I've been. I want to bring success to this football club, play in a certain way. Um, that never changes. I'm, I'm uncompromising in that. And um, success for me is winning things. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's not a, a desperation around just winning something because I just don't think that's, you know, that gets you sort of the sustainable um, sort of opportunity to be successful. That for me, it's, it's the roots of it, the foundation of it is just to play the game a certain way, which I believe brings success, but also excites, excites opponents. And as you rightly say, the challenge is to win things. And Tottenham fans desperately want to win something. But here, after you went out the Carabao Cup um, against Fulham, there were a bunch of Tottenham fans getting in touch saying, yeah, there, was, there was no drama, there was, there was no crisis, but they were disappointed that you didn't field a stronger team that might have got you that win against Fulham and might have taken you deeper into the Carabao Cup. Who knows, you might have won it. Any regrets there? No, and and I've, I've been at pains to say, and again, I've had it through my whole career, supporters should feel the way they feel. I'm not going to tell them, you know, if, to not be disappointed or, or not. But as I said before, for me, I'm not in this job desperate to win something just to win something. I'm, I'm here because I want to create a club that has the opportunity to win things on a yearly basis. And there's a difference, yeah, because us winning a Carabao Cup and finishing 10th, um, is not what I think this club's about. And that's not dismissing the Carabao Cup. You know, I, I want to win every game. Trust me, I wasn't, uh, I was disappointed on that night as well. But that's not the end game for me. It's not about just winning something for the sake of winning something. It's about building something. I mean, that's that's what's always driven me my whole career. I want to build clubs that are, have sustainable success and supporters going to every season, feeling good about their prospects and watching their team play football. 
And uh, we spoke a lot in this in this show about Conte and what he did or didn't do in his time there. We're not going to talk about him specifically, but he did say, "Look, this club doesn't have a winning mentality." And then he departed, and that annoyed you greatly, Simon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it still does. Uh, and what do you recognise around the place now? Is a winning mentality there? You're trying to engender that, aren't you? You're right. It's not. It's not my place to talk about you know the past or other managers because I don't think it's fair. And I've often said that um, you know, until you walk a mile in somebody's shoes, you can't really know what they're what they're dealing with. What I know is that again, for me, a winning mentality. It's it's a funny one. I grew up in Australia where we we love sport and we want to win everything, and we're a small nation and we're usually doing it as an underdog. So you kind of go into every contest been written off and then, you know, um, using that in your favour. But I think for me, the winning mentality is just you come in every day and you just want to be the best you can be. And it's got to be born from something else because there isn't a football club on this planet, there isn't a manager on this planet that does not want to win. There isn't a player on this planet that does not want to win. I refuse to believe that anyone goes into a game of football, irrespective of the odds they're overcoming, need to overcome, not trying to win. My thing is... It's not just about the winning. It's about playing the game. You've got to believe in something more than just the victory because everyone wants to win. And for me, it's the way we play. That's what it comes down to. And what I've seen since I've got here is a group of players who are open to that. They've embraced that. It's challenging. Uh, it's going to test us. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall along the way. But when we get to where we want to and play the football we want to, the winning should take care of itself. Talk to me about the fit, and I've spoken about the fit with you and Spurs and you and Daniel. And the again, I'll, I'll, I'll touch upon your predecessor, but I don't ask you to comment upon them. <laughs> I, I, I look at the reality of the fit for you, which is the opportunity for you to go to Tottenham Hotspur, was based upon, it was a mutual advantage in terms of you wanted to manage Tottenham Hotspur, you weren't doing them a favour and turning up and getting a big bag of money, you wanted to manage Tottenham Hotspur and they wanted you as the manager. Whereas the predecessors perhaps were getting big reputations justifiably and turned up doing Tottenham Hotspur a favour. Talk to me about the fit of this particular decision-making process of you going to join Tottenham and the working relationships you have with the key components of it, like Daniel Levy. Look, I think it's essential, Simon, and I think the reason I've probably... You know, I've had success at just about every club I've gone to is because they've identified what they need in the next phase of, you know, whatever that, that club cycle is in terms of style of football, in terms of environment, in terms of all those things. And they, and I kind of, I, I come out as sort of the last man standing in that process. And, and when I see that, I know that this, the club is a good fit for me because the one thing about me is when, when I come in, I'm not going to compromise on certain things. I make that clear in the discussions we have before I accept the role. And it, when 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 the other party, whatever that may be, in this case, you know, Tottenham and Daniel decided to go with me, then I knew that they were open to, to going in my direction. And then it's up to me. You know, after after that, I, I'm I'm going to take responsibility for whatever happens here, good, bad, or otherwise. It, it's not going to, you know, if I don't succeed, it's not going to be because of you know, something that exists within this club or external factors because I haven't been able to do what I want to do from myself, you know. And and, and the process for me now is about gaining the trust of everyone at the football club, the supporters, um, the people who run and, and, and own this club, the management, the players, the staff. That's up to me. It's all on me from now on. I think the only thing I ever asked for was that door to be open and, and to be, I guess, supported, which I have been. And... 
and from here on, it's it's really down to me because I've accepted the role. I've accepted whatever challenges exist within this football club. I've accepted that, and I'll I'll take responsibility for that. Ange, what would you say is the ceiling for the club in what is one of the most competitive Premier Leagues for some time? I don't don't like ceilings, don't like floors, don't like uh, any kind of uh, impediments <laughs> that, that limit anything you do in life, uh, Jim. You know, from my perspective, it's let's see where it takes us. You know, I, I you know. When I started this off 26, 27 years ago as a manager, I left the bank to, to become a manager. I can tell you that there was probably plenty of ceilings that were put before me then. And I'm standing <laughs> today and who knows? Um, I, I don't work that way. For me, it's about trying to get this club to, to, to the levels where I believe it deserves to be. It's got unbelievable training facilities, stadium support. It's got all the ingredients you'd ever want uh, to, for, for a club to have success. My role within that is to try and manifest that into something more tangible in terms of on-field and give the, the punters and supporters something to be proud of. Um, so who knows, mate? We'll see what the whatever whatever the ceiling may exist. Let's see if we can smash through it. I like that. You don't like ceilings. I love it. James Madison's already been lauded as one of the signings of the summer, Ange. Did well getting him and he's made a great start. What can you tell Tottenham fans listening? And there are thousands listening, let me tell you. I can see it in front of me. I mean, is there more to come from Madison? You excited about Madison? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, again, that's, I guess, when you talk about support I've had since I've got the role. I mean, we signed James pretty early on in, in the piece, which was great for me. I mean, you know, we had competition from other clubs for him and, the, you know, the club sort of backed me early on um, to, to bring him in. I think what you've seen so far is we've we've gained a player with you know outstanding ability, but also somebody who also is very very driven to bring success to this football club. And I think when you get both, um, you know sometimes you know you get players at different stages of their careers. Um, but for for James and and the club, I think it's 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 a perfect timing because he's he's coming here to make an impact, not just for himself individually, because I think he's already done that as an individual. He wants to make an impact for this football club and. Um, you know, I think for James Madison, all the players, um, we're just at the beginnings. You know, again, I, I don't say that to dismiss the fact that we've had an encouraging start, but we've still got a long way to go in, in what we're trying to build. And and guys like Matters and, and Sonny and Romero, who are now the new leaders of this group, um, they're going to play an important role in that. Those are three, are they? Madison, Son, uh, Romero, do you see them as the leaders, some of the leaders in your squad? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it's important that, you know, a lot of it has to be player-driven, you know. I can sit there and, and, you know, try and paint the prettiest of pictures, but ultimately they've got to buy into it. They've got to believe it. You know, it's their, I keep saying it's their dressing room. You know, they go into there every day. I don't go in the dressing room. The environment there is going to be key to us being successful. It's got to be driven by them. They're the, they're the people involved, not the players, the people who, yeah. who, who lead in there. And I think those three, um, along with others who, who we've got in the group, hopefully will... will We'll drive that. And I noticed Messi this week, Ange described Romero as the best defender in the world. I I, I don't know. Is he that good? Is he is he certainly up there? Why not, mate? Who am I to argue with uh, with uh, with Messi? He's, he's. I'll tell you what. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to play against him. Most of the boys here don't like training against him. He's uh, he's a real competitor, and I love that about him. Um, you know, whether it's training or a game, what you see is 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 what you get with uh, Romero. Talk to me about Basuma. This is a player that was signed from Brighton that seemed to have been marginalised last season, didn't even get a look in. All of a sudden, he's a mainstay. What have you done with him? 
I don't know if I've done anything specific with him, Simon. With all the players, it's again, it's about creating an environment. And, you know, I, I put the responsibility on them too because, you know, you can sometimes when you've had a disappointing season, you can blame you know, the manager in the past or other things. But ultimately, I said to all the players, you know, it's about them now. You know, you never start with a clean slate, but you certainly start with an opportunity to to take hold of your career and be the, you know, show me what you can do and, and be the best you can be. And this... I was lucky because he was here from the first day I arrived. A lot of the boys had, had played international football and Biss was here from the first day. And I kind of grabbed him and I said to him, the way he was training at the time was like the first three or four sessions. We mainly had young guys. You know, mate, you've got, you can be a leader in this group. The way, you know, I already knew about his ability, but the way he was training and I could see he got a lift in with that. He, he was late the next morning. So then I said to him, to be a leader means being on time and he's been good since then. So there's always lessons to be learned there, but... You know, I think with him and all the other players, it's about creating a, an environment, a framework to say, well, you should really have no excuses. You know, I'm not going to allow you to have any excuses and not be the best you can be. And within that context, then the rest is up to them. And just a couple of quick points. Uh, Arsenal Tottenham, 24th of this month. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, um, Sheffield United first, mate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Game at a time, game at a time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's it's a big game, and then look, you know, whenever I get stopped in the in the street these days, uh, that's the first fixture people talk about, whether whatever side of the fence they're on. So, yeah, it should be a great game. But um, like I said, I, I don't like international windows, mate. I, I've got to sit with my fingers biting my nails today because I've got about. You know, half a dozen playing in games today. So we'll get yeah. through that and focus on the weekend. What constitutes success then this season, Ange? Is it top four? Is it winning a trophy? What is it? Uh, you know, again, I I said at the start, I'm going to stick to that line. I reckon the supporters will tell me. You know, at the end of the year, they'll tell me whether we've been a success or not. Tottenham supporters, not opposition supporters. So, you know, they'll give me an indication. Now, what that looks like, who knows? So I'll, uh, uh, the one thing about me is that... Uh, like I said, I love winning and uh, hopefully at the end of the year we've, we've done plenty of that. Ange, we can't thank you enough. I know you're going out training now from Simon and myself, everybody at TalkSport. Thank you for this. I'm going to finish with this. One of many, you and a big Celtic fan. I wanted this light, Ange, because he left us, but I understand it. I just can't dislike him. He's an absolute class act listening to him. Thanks to Ange for everything he did in his time at Celtic. Do you, do you want to say hi to some of the Celtic fans? Some of the many oh, thousands yeah. getting in touch, Ange. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it was a it was a it was a magical time for me. I, look, I, I've gone from managing one of the most famous football clubs in the world to now one of the biggest. You know, I've I'm living the dream, and and yeah, you know, my two years at Celtic. Um, I don't need to tell people that. That's that's that will stay with me forever, and mainly because of the supporters. Uh, it was a magical couple of years there, and um, you know. If, I keep saying to everyone, um, if you've got a bucket list of clubs you want to be involved with, in, uh, Celtic could be right at the top of that list. I remember Ange speaking to Kevin Musket when you joined Celtic and he says, I'm worried he's going to be good with them. He's going to be successful. And my God, you are. Yeah, Kevin's a, Kevin's a good man. He's And he's doing very well in Japan. Uh, watch out for him. He'll be another one that uh, comes across. Another Aussie that comes across here and uh, breaks down some barriers, mate. <laughs> that would be great. Ange Postacoglu, good luck and thank you. Well done. Thank you, guys. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. 
Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. There's an interesting message this morning. We haven't even asked for them. 81089. Scotland versus England is a rivalry for the Scots, not the English. I would, I would say that's not true. I would, I would say England want to beat Scotland every bit. England don't want to lose. As we want to beat you. I, I'm not in any shape or form being sort of jingoistic about it, but I think there is more meaning and more resonance to the Scots than there is to the English. Only if we lose, if we lose, it becomes more meaningful to us. If we win, we're sort of laissez-faire about it because we expect to win. But if we lose, then there's the, je- the jeopardy in it for us. So I think there's more meaning to the Scots. It's just as intense for you as it is for us. Come off it. I don't know. I mean, the last time I... Come the, 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 come the, the whistle I, going tonight, you, you, you'll you lot be honest. I have to say, the last, the last game I went to was the 96 game when England played Scotland. And I was caught up in the further, but because it was a, it was the Euros, it wasn't because it was just Scotland. Scotland happened to be an added spice. And the reasons why the spice comes in is not because you're playing Scotland, it's because you're playing Scotland's supporters and all that they bring to the equation. Yes. And their nonsense. Uh, yes. Yeah, and we'll bring plenty of that nonsense tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking forward to it immensely. It's live on Talk Sport. Now, I'll put it out there this morning. Have a think, and then you might want to get in touch. 81089. I had a very interesting chat with producer Luke uh, this morning, really? and those kind of moments well, Luke, don't come it? along very often. <laughs> but he was saying to me, he's of an age, he doesn't he doesn't know anything about the home nations. He doesn't know anything he, about anything. He, he doesn't know much about anything, but on this one, he, d- he didn't know about the home nations. He didn't know about the rivalry when George Best was turning out at Windsor Park and kicking the ball out of uh, Gordon Banks' hands when right. Northern Ireland played England when we played you lot at yeah. Wembley and at Hamden when the Welsh would play at Ninian Park against all of us yeah. and those were good times Simon and that's why I love the home nations playing each other yeah but it's kind of inexcusable isn't it that sort of 
myopic outlook where you don't look back and you only look what's in your little 12 year old span of understanding <laughs> right and you look at the reality and it's like me saying well the only music i like is the music from the 90s and the beatles i don't recognize because i wasn't around when they were making music it's preposterous yes well I it's a form of that. ignorance that we have to suffer on a daily basis and wade through isn't it well this is true so i kind of generation if you like has kind of missed out on the on the home nations football for me yeah i'd love to see this um as as the start of something big again i mean for me i'd rather he- watch the home nations than than um, the european nations yeah than the european the nations league, nations league I'd, yeah. I'd much rather watch that i'd much rather see the welsh play northern ireland northern ireland play england scotland play wales i'd, lo- I'd love to yeah, see more I mean, of that it, it became a, it did become i remember it when i was a kid when i was growing up and watching these home home internationals coming around and it did become a little bit pedestrian I think the last season they played was 83-84 which we discussed yesterday with Martin O'Neill which Northern Ireland won Yeah, but it became a little bit the teams weren't that invested as they once were before it lost its luster but maybe there is maybe there's but then again we'd have old player welfare rocking in here saying where well, we're going to fix that into the schedule Martin <laughs> Keown and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that Yeah, but now that we've got um, it's disappointing to see Northern Ireland fall away a little bit but now we've got seemingly the, the home nations operating at better levels than they have done previously, again provides the competitive jeopardy that might yeah. might create that 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 feeling of of investment that was there once upon a time in the mid seventies, sort of early eighties before mm. it shut down. But this one tonight, Simon, the oldest rivalry in world football. Uh, it, it's a special one hundred and fiftieth anniversary heritage match. Mm. Whoever wins it will be remembered for winning it. Really? Yes. Definitely, mm. it's that significant. Yeah. I think so. I mean, tomorrow, like, tomorrow, when you've got stuffed, you'll you'll look at it and go, "What was that? It's a meaningless game." Probably, we'll, we'd <laughs> like to forget it very quickly. I hope not. Um, what does Steve Clark and Gareth Southgate think uh, uh, on that very topic? Let's have a listen. They like to beat us. Don't make any mistake about that. Don't think it's more important to Scotland than it is to England. Having lived in England for, as I said, quite a long time, I understand that it means a lot to them as well. The memories are great. You know they. I think we became world champions when we won in 67, didn't we? So all the little things, all the little memories, uh, the 9-3 game, maybe not such a good memory. So there's, there's loads of memories for, for everybody to have, and hopefully after this one, we can give them a few more. Well, my first memory is some of your mates nicking the goalposts at Wembley. <laughs> I mean, this is horrendous what I'm going to say here ahead of tomorrow, but I was supporting Scotland in 1978 because obviously we hadn't qualified. And then we were back in in 82 and all of a sudden, you know, for me then onwards, it was uh, it was all about England. But uh, I know there's a rivalry and I know people will be wary of it crossing a boundary, but it's a brilliant sporting rivalry and uh, it's a great game to be involved in. That's mind games from Gareth, isn't it? I was supporting Scotland in 1978. Well, when he's, he's a bit of a flake sometimes, Argentina. isn't he? So it's probably not. I mean, I, I'm, pu- I'm putting it out there this morning. Is it one that the fans still care about? Scotland, England, England, Scotland. Are you into it? Do you want it on a regular basis? 81089, the messages come flying in. Uh, there's Mason. For England fans, playing Scotland isn't a big game. England, Germany or Argentina, those are big games. Daniel, Arsenal fan. I care so much for this tonight, Scotland against England, that I'm going to be playing golf at Farrington Golf Club. <laughs> 
There's Steve, the Owls fan. Sheffield Wednesday, of course. Jim prefers the home nations because they never qualify for the bigger tournament, Scotland. Sorry, Jim. That's all right. We can take that. Well, if you look at the last... That's why we want to stuff you but tonight. Is, but this is the point. All of the jeopardy, all of the, all of the vitriol that comes into these conversations starts from somewhere. It's like, what you do is you're very clever at characterising, like myself and Danny Murphy going, oh, our 21s will beat you a lot. Mm. But there is a reason behind that because what happens, it normally starts with, my worst day will be if England win the European Championships. That's what normally starts the conversation. And then people like me and Murphy go, well, oh, hang on a second, you sweaty sock. What is it the last thing that you've won recently? When was the last time you qualified for a tournament? You see, that's right. Then you take the bait, don't you? You've yes. taken the bait. So the genesis yeah. of the debate and the genesis yeah. of the argument and any 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 sort of contempt or disdain comes mm. on the back. Now, if you look at the last 20 results, Scotland have won three out of the last 20 out of the last 20 games between the two nations, Scotland have won three, and there's been four draws. Yeah. So at this moment in time, 65% of the time we play your lot, we beat them. Right, okay. So and your contribution to is it there is... a point to that? Well, your contribution is you win something like 15% of the games. Well, so it means more to you because it's so rare. 115 matches have been played out with the old enemy, yeah. as you lot. Yeah. Scotland have won 41. Yeah. England have won 48. Correct. And 26 have ended honours yeah. even. But let's, but let's look at recent times. Let's not, let's not look back to the times in the past when it's not really that relevant. Let's look at modern-day football, and let's take the last 20, just for example, because that's over the last 25 years, the last quarter of a century, where yeah. football becomes what it is now, and you've won three times. Mm. You celebrate draws like the national holidays, um, and, and ultimately... Whilst we're whilst I'm pleased, I'm genuinely pleased that Scotland are doing well because oh, that, I think that kind of you. you know it's nice to see them doing well. It's also nice to see the smaller nations Thank prospering. You. Yes, but the, the the real the real the real energy is with you guys, and the only energy that comes from the English is the fear of losing. The yeah. joy of winning isn't really there because it's priced into our thinking. The fear of losing and having to listen to the nonsense that comes out <laughs> of the Scots' mouths <laughs> is the only thing that English fans <laughs> price it in. And I guarantee you, most English fans will say the same. I see. So, so on a, I don't know, on a 1 to 10, what does this mean to you tonight? The importance of it? Um, depends what times the Piers Morgan interview finishes with... Ribieras. Oh, right. Oh, he's a favourite of yours, isn't he, Pierce? Well, it's a good interview. I'm looking, we, looking forward to seeing it. This is why we want to beat you tonight. There's a message, and it typifies what a lot of people are saying to me this morning. Jim, it definitely means more to Scotland than it does to England tonight. All the home nations want to beat England more than anyone else. To us, it's just another day ruling Britain. Well, we, I mean, get... We, we of this we, I mean, I'm, country. I'm all for devolution. I want to send you off on your little financial expedition into the into into Narnia, where, you, where you can't afford to pay for your own country. I'm happy yeah. for that to manifest itself. Okay, um, but like the, you lot have made a good deal. Of no, the no, uh, no. We, we, we we'll see how that plays out in the future. But oh, the, yes. point, the point is, is that you look at the, you can never imagine the England team doing what the Welsh team did in 2016 if the Welsh lost to such and such a piddly pop nation. You just wouldn't do it because it wouldn't be on our radar. It'd be like. Oh, the Welsh lost. Okay, so what? Whereas the Welsh and the Scots would do the dance of the seven veils. They would they would turn around and make as much possible noise as they can about the fact the English have lost. It's a fixation on what the English are doing. The English are not fixated on the Scots. They're not fixated on the Welsh. They might be fixated on the Irish because of the issue around the border in the sea right now. But yes. other than that, they're not fixated on them either. That really annoys it, you, that Welsh video, doesn't it's it? The, well, I just think it's unnecessary. Yeah. I think it's a silly thing to do. What was it, it you ripped off the wall in Qatar when you and I were live from the World Cup? 
a Welsh shirt. Oh, it was a Welsh shirt, yeah. and you kind of threw it at no, me. No, I cleaned my shoes with it, which Hal Robson Carno didn't much appreciate. I remember that. Yeah, yeah he yeah, wasn't because happy of that about gutless that. performance that the Welsh put in in the in the, yes. uh, in the World Cup. Yes, absolutely substanceless, without any spirit, any fire. All this Michael Sheen stuff going in a dressing room. What a load of old nonsense that was. I mean, you, you know, there's Wayne, the Southampton fan. I would love a home nations tournament every two years. Do you know what? That's about right. Let's not have it on an annual basis every two years. Why not, Wayne? I'm with you on that. Wayne's yeah, world I mean, is a if, good world. If we can, if the English can do something to bolster the coffers of these fledgling nations that need their FAs to be able to generate more revenue, then we'll help out once every couple of years if it means so much to you guys. But I can assure you, to the average English fan, it doesn't mean very much. Okay. Is it, is it one that the fans care about? Are there England fans out there who really do care that England win at Hamden tonight? Scotland fans, I'm sure, almost to a man to a woman, want to beat England tonight, and that's just the way we are. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Paul Pogba has been provisionally suspended after failing an Italian anti-doping test. Juventus uh, had beaten Udinese 3-0. This was just last month. I mean, the downfall of Paul Pogba, are we witness, witnessing it in, in full flow? Could it get any lower? Um, according to Nado, Paul Pogba's suspension comes after testosterone was detected in the test. This is according to Italy's national anti-doping organisation, Nado. Let's get more on this. Our European football expert, of course, Julien Laurent, a man who knows Paul Pogba, of course, World Cup winner, Paul Pogba. Julien, good morning. Um, I, I asked the question there, and I'll ask it to you. Are we witnessing the ongoing downfall of Paul Pogba? Good morning, guys. I mean, Good what morning. we have to say to him is that the last five years have been have been horrible for him, really, since the World Cup. You mentioned the World Cup in 2018 in Russia. After that, between the former United, the injuries, the move to Juventus that didn't really work out so far. It's only been a year, but he's hardly played. Plus, of course, and we talked about it a lot on the show together, what happened in his private life with his own family and the um, the racketing that had been the the victim of really from his own brothers I think all of that Paul Pogba is not really a footballer anymore yes he played a little bit so far this season I mean the irony is that the game where he was tested positive after didn't even come off the bench that first game against Udinese but now he risked a four-year suspension four years I mean we're waiting for the sample B to come back and see if that's positive or not and after that I guess he will have to put some sort of defenses together we we heard in the news and Rafael Apimenta, who is his agent that you and I know really well, Jim and Simon as well, have been telling us that he never wanted to do anything wrong. Okay, maybe, but she was not very convincing, I thought, in her statements uh, and what she told us yesterday. So we will have to see. But knowing him the way I do, I find really hard to believe. And testosterone is is a really, it's, it's really rare for footballers to get caught with testosterone. It's not really a, a doping product that you would associate with, with football. It's more cycling back in the early 2000s things like that, but not so much for football, but this is where he's at right now. It's sad, Simon, isn't it? Um, I often think about Pogba. I remember being at, at Cannington many years ago and seeing him that day, uh, and Mino Raiola was around the place and was going to be negotiating with the club that day too. I often think if history had been different and Pogba had stayed under Sir Alex at yeah. United first time around, his career, although it's been... Incredible, of course, he's a World Cup winner, but his career could have been totally different and all the better. 
Possibly. I mean, his career was at Stellar Heights for some period of time. I, I have to say, without wanting to be mean-spirited, I don't... It, Sora isn't the emotion that it, it, it automatically comes to the fore when I think of Pogba. You know, I think that Pogba has had many opportunities in life and at Manchester United to change the narrative. He chose not to, um, for whatever reason, whether it was simply a bad purchase from Manchester United and it wasn't fit for purpose in terms of what they bought and what they wanted to utilise him for was the wrong fit. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't wish upon him the challenges that he's had in his family life with the, you know, the duplicity and downright treachery of his brother. I wouldn't wish that upon him. But, you know, testosterone is used in a variety of different places. Why would you use testosterone? Uh, muscle rebuilding, bone density. If you're spending a lot of time out of injury, wouldn't testosterone be a drug that would help you to rehabilitate quicker if indeed that, that, that first sample comes back as a proven challenge, if the B sample comes back the same way? It's concerning because we're hearing just a little bit too much now about drug yeah. um, taking in one particular sport in boxing and now all of a sudden in the biggest sport in the world we're now hearing about a player. But no, I'm, I don't mean to be mean-spirited but my takeaway isn't one of sorrow for Pogba. He ploughed his trough, he rowed his boat, he made the decisions that he made, he moved away from Manchester United because he didn't want to operate in a certain way and I think he drove Ferguson mad at the time. He goes away, he plays in Juventus, he's afforded a lot of luxuries and the team was built around him and all the things that he wouldn't do. And you, can you imagine Pogba, someone like Pogba, playing for a Pep Guardiola where he thinks he's got a choice about how he's going to play? Because Pep Guardiola's mentality is that I will improve the players and they will fall round to my way of thinking rather than yours. Well, exactly. I, I, I think what Simon says, it, it sounds harsh, Julian, but I think a lot of people will be on the same page as Simon with those views. Yeah, completely. And I, I, I can understand. And obviously, as you know, while he was at United, there was a lot of... Um, controversy a bit or there was a lot of things going on with, with football pundits people like us commenting on his games that he was not too happy with I remember seeing him as a, as a 14 year old in Paris and he was the best thing I've ever seen really at that age in football he was so good he was already bigger better than anybody else and at that time you you thought that the career would be extraordinary and really and when he went to United at 16 you thought okay this is it's normal because he's the best in his age group in the whole world probably for the best club in, in the world as well at the time. And yet, it didn't really happen like that, apart from the World Cup, really. So it's sad. Uh, I can understand where Simon is coming from, of course. Let's see what happens now. But he's 30. He will turn 31 in March. He's closest to the end and to the beginning. And this is the last thing, really, after the years of trouble that he had on and off the pitch, all those injuries, all the doubts, even thought about retiring. To, to have this now on top of everything else is... It's really, it's really a very, very challenging, tough, tough time for him. And I, I don't know, even if he's cleared, I don't know how he, he will recover from it. Well, as you rightly say, Julian, if, if the worst was to happen for him and if he was to be banned for four years, um, if they proved he took the substance intentionally, of course, he'd, he'd be coming back at 34. You would have to think his best years are behind him, very much so at that stage. Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, that would be the case. On his day, incredible player. We've said that. The, the World Cup he had in 2018 was one of the best individual World Cups that you could have seen in recent years. But but we haven't seen enough in the last five years, for sure, in those that downfall that we mentioned at the beginning. And then if you, on top of that, again, add four years without football, I, I think it will, be, it will be over for him. It will be heartbroken, for sure. I think what happened off the pitch with his family that we've mentioned already 
was almost the, the the final point to the point that he went like, I don't want to play football anymore. I don't want to earn money. I want to be left in peace and do my own thing. To have that now, and if he was really, if he was suspended for for four years, that that would be the end. We saw Palomino who played for Atalanta last season, fighting it off, and in the end being cleared after a few months of that kind of battle with the anti-doping agency in Italy. So it's, it's still possible that actually it was it that it would be okay. And like Simon said, you can find that testosterone in a lot of food complements, for example, even some stuff that makes your sex life better. Like all the, loads of, there's loads of places and things that you could have testosterone without wanting to take it to, to feel better. So he will have to prove his innocence. That's for sure. That's where he's at right now. But that's, that's another hell of a battle ahead of him. Julian, thank you very much indeed. Julian Laurent is speaking to us here. Simon, do you, do you think this is the, the exception and not the rule? Or what do you think? I don't know. I don't know um, why there would be uh, additional or testosterone in his system. Um, I, I just gave an example of what testosterone is used for, not Julian's example of improving one's sex life, mm. but improving muscle mass and, and muscle rebuild, which if you're a player that's suffering from injuries, would be something that would be appealing if you were that mindset. But I think we've got to wait. Uh, like I said yesterday, I cannot make the argument that I think that we should hear both sides of a debate and not judge people in the here and now until we've seen nuance and context and then go bang, I tell you what, because Pogba isn't one of my favourite players, he's done. I know I would rather see the B sample come back and hear the explanation rather than just go, I tell you what. But if he's t- if he has if he is if he is caught in this trap and he is he is guilty of what they're alleging, yeah. then in four years he's gone, he's done, he's finished. Maybe in four years' time, he can rock up to that wonderful Saudi league that you think is going to be so prevalent. <laughs> okay. What we do know is, of course, uh, in the short term and maybe the long term, challenging times ahead for Paul Pogba. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. At TalkSport, we absolutely love it when our fans get stuck in. That's why we want you to join us in The Dugout, a brilliant new TalkSport listener community. It's a place where you can tell us what sports you're into and who your favourite teams are and tell us what you think we could do better, like big guests and new sports and that. You could win an Amazon voucher for taking part. What are you waiting for? Visit talksport.com slash dugout and get stuck in. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply.